this way. It's quite, uh, quite apt, actually, this morning that we, that we do communion. We take communion and remember what the Lord has done. As we head into a, a kind of three-week series on the gospel, on telling the gospel, um, and heading into Alpha, into our uh, next Alpha course, and we remember what Jesus um, has done and the story of that. I want to ask you this morning, what's your story? What's your story? Whenever I joined a new ship or a new submarine, that was quite often a phrase that was used when someone met you. So what's your story? What's your story? Where have you come from? What is it that I need to know about you? I'm asking you this morning, what's your story? And I wonder if you ask somebody, what's your story? I wonder what you'd think if they responded with this. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I wonder what you'd think if someone said that to you. What's your story? My, wife, my life is worth nothing to me. The only thing I live for is to testify to the goodness of God's grace. That was the Apostle Paul, and we'll come to him a little bit later. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of story. Story is powerful. Jesus used stories to explain things. Story is used in films. I'm going to look at some of these now very briefly. Some epic films. I love a good epic film. I love a good film, a long film with a good story. It's kind of where I escape. You know, you sometimes have that downtime. I love good movies. But I'm going to show some pictures to you and see if you can um, know what films these are. These are some of my favorites. What's this one? Gladiator. Yeah, it's Gladiator. The next one. What's this one? Braveheart. Next one. Anyone know what film this is? Armageddon. Very good. That's uh, Harry Stamper. And who's that? Who? Aslan. From the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. So why have I shown you those stories, those films? I'll tell you in a minute. But why are they epic movies? Why do they touch the human heart so? Why do we become invested in these stories? Well, these stories, believe it or not, some of these I've shown you, and there are many others, these Hollywood films that steal the script from the Bible. These stories are derived from the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told. The story of Jesus. That was another epic movie. And for those of you that have seen it, it's four and a half hours long. An absolute epic. But it's the greatest story ever told. It's the story of a hero laying down his life because nobody else can to save everyone else. That's what Gladiator did. He laid down his life to save the people from a sadistic emperor. It's what Braveheart did, what William Wallace did. He laid down his life hoping for the freedom of his country and somewhat achieved that. And then Harry Stamper decided to stay on the asteroid, complete fiction, but decided to stay on the asteroid. He had to be the one that died so that the rest of the world could live. And those of you that have seen it, Aslan laid down his life for the sins of another so that everyone could be Saved, And he is a direct reflection of Jesus in that story. That is what that story is all about. It's the story of a hero laying down their life because nobody else can so that everyone else can be free. In John 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, Jesus' story was the greatest story ever told because not only did he lay down his life for his friends, 
He laid down his life for his enemies. He laid down his life for those that didn't want him, for those that didn't know him. Not only was this story the greatest story ever told, and still is, the Bible is still the best-selling book year on year throughout the world. This story is still being told. Not only was this story the greatest story ever told, but it's the greatest news ever told. The greatest news ever told. Think about news for a moment. If, and I don't think anyone here has won the lottery, but if you won the lottery, it's a wonderful experience, I should imagine. <laughs> It'd be a wonderful experience. But it's not news until you tell someone about it. It doesn't become great news until you share it, until you tell somebody else. It's a great experience, but until you've shared it, it's not news. And it's the same with the gospel. The gospel is the best news. The gospel is the best experience, the experience of Jesus. But it's not good news until you've told someone. And that's what the gospel is. It's good news. And it's part of your story. You know when you hear a great story, you keep telling it. You know in the news, if, if a good news, if ever, a good news story comes up on the news, we can't stop talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about the the inflation, no one wants to talk about, well, it's not so much more the wars that raise in the world. But if there's a good story comes up, people want to talk about it. Do you remember back to, I can't remember when it was, but those, um, those boys that were trapped in a cave system in Thailand. And it was on the news day after day after day, week after week, until they came out. Everybody was talking about it. And when they came out, it was amazing. And I, Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see how they got them out? Everybody talked about it. It was a good news story. And everybody wanted to talk about it. People like to talk about good news. They like to talk about a good story. I want to say to you this morning that we, that we are both, as Christians, we are commanded, excuse me, we are commanded and we are commissioned to tell the story, to tell the good story. Let me explain. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, said this, it's recorded in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the great commandment, the greatest commandment. You think, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, I say to you, if you love someone, you'll talk about them. In fact, you don't stop talking about them when you're really in love with someone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. If you do that with God, you won't be able to stop talking about him. We've talked about singing his praises forever, about talking about God and his goodness forever. Your goodness has followed me or the days of my life. You know, when I fell in love with my wife 22 years ago, 22 years ago, um, it's probably a little bit before that, to be honest, um, but I was, I was desperately in love with her. I remember being on the, on the ship in the dockyard, and every spare moment I had, I would run up, mobile phones were kind of still fairly new then, and I ran up and I would text her or I would call her. I just wanted to speak to her, but more importantly, I would talk to everybody else about her, about how amazing she was. I had a trip to Portugal, a golfing trip to Portugal. Kind of, don't, don't tear up, Dave. I had a golfing trip <laughs> to Portugal arranged. And when I met Kate, I wanted to spend all my time with her. I loved her. I couldn't stop talking about her. And I said to the two guys I was going with, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to let you down. I, I, really, I don't want to go on this golfing trip. I went, and their eyes went, rolled straight away. Don't tell me. You want to spend some time with Kate? I just could not stop talking about her because I loved her so much. And I still love her very much. <laughs> We have been singing Get Up Out of That Grave this morning, haven't we? <laughs> I managed to dodge that one. 
And I still talk about it. When you love someone or something, you talk about it an awful lot. So this, this commandment, Jesus said the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind. And when you do that, you can't stop talking about him. You think about what he's done for you. You think about the fact that he's died for you, that he saved your life. You think about the fact that there is no joy in your life where there was desperation. You can't stop telling people just how good he is when you dwell on him, when you think about him and you love him. And the second thing is the, is the Great Commission. We're, we're commanded to, we're told to. Jesus said, you need to go and do this. You need to go and tell this story. In Matthew 28, it says this, then Jesus came to them, very familiar passage, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I'll be with you, always to the very end of the age. So what about disciples then? What is this fitting? Well, if we want to grow disciples, which I hope most of us are here, it's not just, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to be more like him. I want to learn more about him. I want to know what it is to be more like Jesus and less like me. That's becoming a disciple, discipline, knowing more about Jesus. But how do you start on that journey? This passage says, go and make disciples. You can't make disciples until someone decides to follow Jesus. And how do they decide to follow Jesus? Someone has to tell them about him. They have to tell him the story. You have to introduce them to Jesus. And this is exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. He was introduced to Jesus by Jesus himself. If you don't know the story of the Apostle Paul, he was once known as Saul. The names were interchangeable, but he was known as Saul. He was a chief Pharisee. He knew everything there was to know about the faith, about the Jewish faith. He'd been taught by the best. He now was one of the best. He was an incredible teacher. He knew everything he needed to know. He loved God. He loved God, but he loved the law. But he hated Christians. And he denied Jesus. That's why he hated Christians. Who is this man that claims to be the son of God? This is false. This is false. And so he set about killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, persecuting them, standing by as people were stoned to death. As we see with Stephen, that was only one that was recorded. And then we see that, that Paul decided where he was, it wasn't enough. He needed to now to go to Damascus to find more of these Christians, to make more of their life a misery. And he's got these letters in his hand or perhaps in his saddlebags and he's, he's heading to uh, Damascus on this road. And he's got this authority to capture more Christians, to kill some more, perhaps feed some more to the lions, perhaps take some more children away from their parents. Paul did this because he thought he knew. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was an absolute zealot. He wanted to kill Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. Jesus showed up as a blinding light and introduced himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was blinded by the light. Paul then went into a town under the instructions of Jesus and met a man called Ananias who prayed for him and the scales fell from his eyes. Paul had met Jesus and was in no doubt that he was the son of God and it changed his life forever. This man that used to kill Christians, persecute Christians, stand by and watch them be stoned to death. They wanted to help people become Christians, to teach Christians, to disciple Christians. His life could not have been more radically Changed, 180 degree turn. Everything that he stood for, he now stood for the complete opposite. How did that happen? He met Jesus. He was introduced to Jesus. And that's how people's lives 
are changed. So Paul's gone from, I'm going to talk about his sufferings now. Paul has gone from trying to kill Christians to make them suffer, to make their life a misery, to try and literally wipe them out. That was his goal. And his life changed when he met Jesus. And I just want to read this to you. This is then what Paul went through. This is in two, if you've got your Bibles with you, this is 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23. So this is Paul that used to kill Christians, and now this is what Paul is going through in the name of telling people about Jesus. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. But we get embarrassed, don't we? We get a bit embarrassed when we talk about Jesus. When we talk about the good news of the gospel. When we get the opportunity to talk about it, we get embarrassed. People might laugh behind our backs. People might treat us a little bit differently. It's a bit awkward, really, telling this Jesus story. Paul died, nearly died. He was in fear of death. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scorned. He nearly drowned. He was hungry. He was naked. How does someone go from wanting to kill Christians to go to the point where he would rather die than not tell people about Jesus? He's quite content to go through all that because he knew that the news that he had was so important, so amazing, so transformatory, so life-changing that he could do nothing but tell people about it. And if it meant he died in the process, then so be it. This is why Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Paul couldn't help it. Once he'd seen what Jesus was, when, who Jesus was and what he had done, when the penny dropped that this man that I've been persecuting, the people that believe in him, he died on the cross. He was the son of God. The son of God died for me. And all these things I've done, watching people be stoned to death, taking children from their parents, putting people in prison just for believing in Jesus. But all that has been taken away. All that shame, that guilt, that pain has been taken away because he died on the cross for me. What that meant to Paul was so much that he went to the ends of the earth and almost to the ends of himself where he did. He died eventually. He was killed for his faith. Telling people about Jesus because he knew how important it was. Nehemiah, I'm not asking anybody this morning to die for this. But one day, it might come to it. <laughs> one day, it might come to it. I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you is to think, you know what? This is what Jesus has done for me. It's not about will people laugh behind my back. They'll have a little snigger when I walk into the room because they know I'm one of them God-bothering Christians. It's not about that. 
It's about what happens when you actually tell someone about Jesus. When someone meets Jesus, their life is transformed. Whether it's Paul, whether it's you, or whether it's me, we cannot deny the change on our life when we meet Jesus. It's the best news ever, the gospel, the good news. We cannot deny it to other people. We have to share it. We have to share it. The more you dwell on what God has done for you, the more we want to tell other people. So how do we do it? How do we communicate it? How do we tell people the gospel? Because it can be awkward. It can be difficult. Do we, do we fully understand it ourselves? It's like I've experienced it and I love Jesus and I know what he's done. But how do I, how do I really tell someone else that? Well, I want to talk to you this thing. I came across, some of you may well be aware of it and I may be well behind the curve. I don't know. But this, this thing called the Romans Road. You know Roman roads that are very straight. You look on any, any map in the UK and you will see a Roman road somewhere which is very straight, very direct from here to there. A Roman road. With the book of Romans, there are five verses and people call this the Romans road. It's a straight line of gospel truths. They're going to come up on the, on the screen. You're going to talk to them. If you've got your Bible with you, let them through. If you've got a notepad, you might want to write them down. But they will be on the screen at the end. So if you want to take a photo on the last slide, so, you, so you've got these verses and you can maybe go away and read them, then they'll be, they'll be there for you. So I want to start with Romans 3, verse 23. And as you can see, it says this. I'm just going to have a quick drink. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now you might think this is not the greatest way to start a conversation with someone. All have sinned I'm for short of the glory of God. They're probably sure as eggs as eggs about to turn and walk away from you. So we need to explain that a little bit more. And this is really for people that, that have got a genuine interest. You know, I really want to know what your Bible says about Jesus. I want to know then. Show me. Show me who he is. Show me what he's done. This, this is this approach. Okay, so this, this Romans wrote. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's sin? That's that thing that I just keep getting wrong. Is it? That's when I do what I'm not supposed to do. Let me explain that the sin is really just ignoring God. It's, it's not doing what God would have us do. It's departing from God's plan. You take them back to Adam and Eve and say, that's kind of where it all started. It's that God had this plan and it was perfect. There was God and there was Adam and there was Eve and there was the animals and this beautiful garden. There was everything they would ever need. The food was there. God was there. They walked with God in the day. They walked with God in the night. It was perfect. But God said, for you to love me, I need to allow you to choose to love me. So you need to have this thing called free will. So you can make choices. And he said, don't eat from that tree. The tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat that. Do whatever else. You'll eat from whatever else you like, but don't eat from that tree. At that point, Adam and Eve, both of them, succumbed to sin when they said, you know what? We're going to do what God told us not to do. We're going to step out from under God's instructions. That was sin. Now, however you want to wrap up sin, whatever you want to call sin, whatever you think sin is, it stems back to that. It's just ignoring God's best plan for us. Ignoring God's best plan. God has the best plan for all of us. He said, I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm going to go my own way. That's where sin starts. And so we fall short of the glory of God. God had this glorious story, this glorious plan for us, and it was going to be amazing. But we stuffed it up because we ignored God. We went our own way and we sinned. And this is what this verse means. We've all sinned from then until now, and we all do it. So then Romans 6, 23 is the next verse. The wages of sin is death. Again, that's not a great line, but we're talking about the truth here. And if someone is interested, we're relying on the Holy Spirit here to speak to them. Anything we say, anything we read, this is truth, but we're relying on the Holy Spirit to speak into people's hearts. So don't be afraid of the language here. But I would, I would 
say this slightly differently. The wages of sin is death. I would say, think of the word consequences. The consequences of sin is death. We know in this country, if you murder someone, you go to prison. If you rob a bank, you go to prison. If you speed on the motorway, you'll get a fine and you'll get points. There are consequences to the things that we do. That is the nature of the world. It's the nature of humanity and it's God's nature too. That when things are done wrong, that there is a consequence. So when we talk about the wages of sin, we're talking about the consequence of sin. So that sin that was committed, that sin where we ignored God, when we went our own way, there are consequences to that. And that means that we will die. Adam and Eve were never supposed to die. They were made for eternity. You and I are made for eternity. Whichever decision we make, it's gonna be eternal. We are made for eternity. But this death is, is life away from God. The consequences of this sin is death. And that's not being with God. We were separated from God. So then Romans 5, 8, this third verse says, but, and this is where the good news starts, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love was that great that even while we were sinners, and he knew that, and he knew we wouldn't be able to stop. He knew that we would continue sinning. He knew we would continue to go our own way. But he said, you know what? This sin needs to be paid for. And I love them that much. I want them back. But they can't pay for it because they keep sinning. There needs to be someone that's never sinned. There needs to be someone that's never done this so that they can pay. That's what it's going to take to pay. And the only one that could ever pay for it was Jesus, the Son of God. This is the very reason he came to earth, the very reason we have Christmas, is that Jesus came to this earth to die for us. God did that while we were still sinners. So you say to someone, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do, because you're going to sin again, just like I will. God knew that we are sinners, but he sent his son anyway. He loves you that much. He wants you back that much that he sent his son to die in your place, to pay for our sins. And then Romans 6, 23. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The good news continues. So we've looked at, if we just leave this slide up for a minute, Evie. So the beginning is, that's the problem. The problem is all have sinned. We've all gone away from God and we've missed the glory of God. And the bad news continues. The consequences, the wages of sin is death. So we've gone away from God. The consequence is that we're gonna die. We're gonna be separated from God. Then the good news starts. This is what God does. So this is what we've done, then what God does. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God does something now. And there's consequences to what God does. And the consequences of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again are this. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life with God. You think of that glimpse of that feeling you had right at the beginning of our service when we were singing that song and we were all fired up and we were all so pleased to be in church, so pleased to be in the presence of God. you imagine that feeling forever? That's just a glimpse. It's probably not even, it's gonna be better than that. Far better than that. We mean the presence of God. But eternal life with God, that's the gift. Those are the consequences of what Jesus has done. And then this last verse. Romans 10 verse nine. So this is what we did. These are the consequences. This is what God did as a response. And this was the consequence. And this is what you need to do about it. So if you don't know this, if you don't know Jesus, this is what you need to do about it. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's more than that. There's a life to be lived after that, but that's the starting point. That's you being saved. If you just leave this slide up, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. We've sung this morning about Jesus being our Savior and our Lord. He has saved us. That's what he did on the cross. And then he conquered death when he rose from the grave, and he has become our Lord. That means we listen to him. We go back to what God designed in the beginning, that he would be our Lord, that we would follow him, that we would listen to him, that we would go along with his plan because that's what's best for us. And that's what means, when we say Jesus is Lord, it's I'm submitting to you because your plan is better than mine. Because when we go our own way, look what happens. Look at the road around you. That's the result of us going our own way. The way to change that, the way to change your life is to declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So if someone asks you, show me. Show me in the Bible. Show me who this Jesus is. Show me what he's done. Why should I believe? There it is. So take that away. Read it. Learn it. Meditate on it. Look at those verses. How would I communicate that to someone if they really wanted to know? So why is it so important to know and to be able to communicate the gospel? Why, why do I want you, why do we want you to take away those verses and be able to communicate the gospel? Because it's God's will that no one should perish. And we've been commanded and commissioned to go and tell people the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. Romans 10, 14 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can someone do that? How can they declare that Jesus is Lord if they don't even know who Jesus is? So how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear about someone preaching or without someone preaching to them? Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, whether we like it or not, some of us are sat here really uncomfortable at the moment and I get it, I've been where you are. The whole thought of evangelism, the whole thought of telling someone about Jesus fills us with terror sometimes. And it's something we need to think about, something we need to wrestle with. Because when we think about what God has done for us. You know, not everyone has the gift of evangelism. It is a spiritual gift. It says so in the Bible. Some people are really great at it. Some people have to work really hard at it. You think of people like Billy Graham that would fill stadiums. Think of Ronald Bonke that would fill stadiums. They would just speak and the Holy Spirit would fall and people would be saved. It's just a gift of evangelism. Some people have that and some people don't, but it doesn't mean that we don't evangelize. It doesn't mean that we don't be ready to tell people why we have the faith that we have. But on the flip side of that, I want to talk to you about the weird side of Christianity where people try and lever Jesus into every single conversation that they have. Have you ever come across that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever noticed that? A friend of mine was at a barbecue once, another guy that I know from many years ago, it doesn't matter who they are, but at this barbecue, this guy was a non-Christian and he said, you do know if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to hell. Oh, wow. But if that's Jesus, you can keep him. I don't want to know. But there's a way of doing it. There's a way of getting it in. I heard when we were away at Limitless, this uh, Laura Hancock talked about the weird Christianity and how we need to kind of get away from that. It doesn't need to be weird. It doesn't need to be weird. It can be so natural. God is supernatural, but we can speak to people in the natural about it. So you, know, you go on a family picnic, you go to the park and, and you break out your sandwiches and someone's having a ham and tomato sandwich. You're like, that looks nice. And someone opens up a tuna sandwich and you think, oh, fantastic. Uh, tuna sandwich, bread and fish. Ever heard of a story about bread and fish? <laughs> Let me tell you about a boy with bread and fish. Don't do that. People are like, what's wrong with you, you weirdo? Leave me alone. 
we need, the Bible says we share our faith with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Jesus spoke to people that would listen. He didn't ram it down their throats. We speak with gentleness and respect. So how else can we do it then? Because let's be honest, if we walk to someone with a Romans road and say, look, let me tell you five verses in Romans, it's going to change your life. That might not work. But that's just someone that's seeking. And that's for a friend that says, show me, tell me. So how else can we do it? What about your story? The power of story. People can argue with the Bible or they like. And they will. They will find fault in their eyes in the Bible. They will try and discredit the Bible. It's very much more difficult to discredit someone that's telling you their life story. That's telling you what's happened to them. You know, when we do the baptism classes and courses, we invite the candidates to tell their testimony. And we give them three pointers. What was it like before you met Jesus? What was it like when you met Jesus? And what was it like after you met Jesus? And that's it. That's all you need to be able to tell them. And why, why is it powerful? Well, I can tell you in Revelation, it says that this is powerful. How was the enemy overcome? How was the enemy overcome? Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus' part. That's Jesus' blood. They overcame him with the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Will you tell your story no matter what? Will you tell your story and be embarrassed? Will you tell your story and let people laugh at you? Because if we can't do that, we can't do it unto death. But we need to have a story. We need to have a reason for our faith. I want to tell you my testimony as briefly as I can. I grew up in church. It's quite a dead church, looking back. Um, and my mum took me to another one that was clearly spirit-filled because everyone was really happy. And they loved being in church. And they loved being in the presence of God, but I still didn't get it. But I had a good Christian education, if you like. I knew the stories. I knew the Bible. I even ended up teaching a little bit in Sunday school. But it was all up here. And none of it was in here. And then I joined the Navy. And I don't need to, you don't need to spread your imagination much to know that, you know, you hear the stories about the Navy and sailors around the world. And that was me for 10 years. My life kind of really went in a different direction. There was a life of drinking too much. There was a life of promiscuity that was not great, but it, it was a culture that I was immersed in. And I just became a different person. And if I'm being honest, at times when I was on my own, I didn't like who I was. And when I'm honest, for 10 years, I didn't think really about God once. And then I met my wife, or my girlfriend then, Kate. And we moved in together, and we got pregnant, and then we had a miscarriage. And I was so selfish that she was breaking her heart on a Friday. And on the Sunday, I went to my next leadership course for promotion because that's what I did. That's what I needed to do. I didn't give it a second thought because I was that selfish. But then my mum called Kate and she said, Kate, the only way you're going to get through this is God. She said, I've had three miscarriages and the only way I've got through it is through God and the love of the church. So why don't you come with me? And Kate went, this is the brief version, Kate went to church. And she will tell you herself, the church loved her through that time. And they introduced her to Jesus. And Jesus 
changed her life. And then she started getting me to come to church. And I didn't want to come. I really didn't want to come. But I knew I could hide because I knew how it works. You stand up when they start singing. And when they stop singing, you sit down. When they pray, you close your eyes. <laughs> so I got away with it. And I just came to church. It was okay. She said, we've got to bring our daughter, Amelia, to church. Well, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm for that. Let's do that. So I was coming to church. But that was it. I was coming to church. But I was sat just over here on this side downstairs about, I don't know how long ago, 15 years ago now. And we were singing like we have done this morning. And then I heard this voice that said, I love you, I want you, and I'm going to use you. And I thought, I know I drink a lot on Saturday nights, <laughs> but this is something else. And I'm looking around, and no one seems to be batting an eyelid. Fair enough. So we carried on, and then this voice came again. I love you, I want you, and I'm going to use you. And the penny dropped. <laughs> I'm like, this must be God speaking to me. And I started to cry which makes things worse because I didn't do that back then. And I said to God, you can't use me. <laughs> you can't use me and you can't want me because I've done too many things I shouldn't have done. And there's a lot of things I should have done that I haven't. I said, my heart is too hard. You don't want me and you can't use me. And then I saw this picture in my mind and I really thought I was going crazy at this point. But I saw this, this picture in my mind of this hand and in it was a dark, hard heart, a human heart, but a really dark, maybe wood or something like that and then the hand closed over it and opened again it was in a thousand pieces and it closed again and opened and in it was a flesh beating heart and God said I'm going to give you a new heart and then he said again I love you I want you and I'm going to use you I'd met Jesus and my life has never been the same again no longer no longer do I turn up to my daughter's birthday party still drunk from the night before. Her first birthday party, and I was drunk at it. That's the kind of guy that I was. I was a really selfish guy. Not the worst of the worst, but sin is sin, and we're all sinners. And I'd love to tell you that from that day on, I was perfect. I'd love to tell you that I am now this incredible, sinless man that just pursues God like nothing else. It's a struggle. Christian life is a struggle, but my life has never been the same since I gave it to Jesus, since I surrendered it to Jesus. Now I ask you or anybody to argue with that story. You either call me a liar or it didn't happen. So yes, some people, we can tell them what the Bible says and we can discuss it with them and we can talk about them. For those that don't want to know the Bible, tell them your story. My challenge to you, as I challenged our community group a couple of weeks back, um, and so they're going to be doing it this Tuesday, so I hope they've been listening. Get your testimony down to two minutes, maybe a minute. Have a reason for your faith. Have a story for your faith. So that when someone comes to you and says, why do you follow Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What's your story? Have a story to tell them. Just think about it. Distill it down. What was it like before I met Jesus? What was it like? What was it like when I met Jesus? And what's it been like since? Because the power of story transforms lives. The power of Jesus' story transforms lives forever. The ripples in history and future will go on forever and ever. The power of story. So the story of Jesus in your life, what is it? What does it look like? There are hundreds of different stories of Jesus in this place. So do not be afraid to tell them. Now I wouldn't, having talked the way I have, it, I cannot carry on without giving an appeal. So I'm going to give people an opportunity to give their lives to Christ. And then I'm going to ask something of you as well. If you've been stirred 
to tell your story if you've been stirred to do more than you have been doing in your communication of the gospel to the lost. But if you this morning have heard what I've been saying, perhaps you've heard what I've been talking in Romans, perhaps you've heard something in my story and Jesus has suddenly become real to you. Perhaps he's speaking to you right now like he was speaking to me. None of us can hear it, but you can. You can hear it in your heart. You can hear it in your head. And I'm appealing to you. So if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, and I pray that you dearly do, then you can do that now as I pray. So the rest of us will just, just pray this in your heart, just pray it in your head and just follow these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I have done. I'm sorry for departing from your plan, for ignoring you. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross for me, that you've forgiven all my sin and you've taken all my shame. And Jesus, please come into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow your plan from now on. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If that was you, if you have done that this morning, tell the person you came with or come and tell me. I'm going to be here for a while after church. Come and see me. Come and talk to me or tell the person you came with. It's really important and that can be the start of your story. There's one other thing I want to, want to do and that's point you towards Alpha. We've got another, got another video I'm going to show you shortly as I come to an end. But I want to ask you before I do that, because we're going to talk about another way of introducing people to Jesus. But before I do that, I want to ask you, have you been compelled this morning to do a little bit more to talk to friends, family, the people you meet in the street, Joe taking a guy for a meal and looking after him? Are you prepared to show people Jesus? If you've been compelled or stirred this morning, I want to ask you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to think about it. I want you to ask you to stand. And I'm going to pray for you in this moment as we're talking about this, that God will give you a gift of evangelism, that he will give you the courage that it takes, that he'll give you the wisdom that it takes to speak to, speak to people that are lost and need Jesus. Because one sentence, one word, one story can change a life. And that life changes another life. And that, chase, that life changes another life. Paul, the apostle Paul, his life was changed. And the world as they knew it, was changed because he traveled the world telling the gospel. You don't have to travel the world. We read that, go, go and make disciples. Go, come in, go into work. Go, come in, go into college. Go wherever you go, go to the bus stop. But don't be afraid to tell people about Jesus. Don't take the tuna sandwich approach. But if that opportunity arises, be ready. Be ready to speak. And if, that's, if you want to be able to do that, if you want to be empowered to do that, if you want to be more ready to do that, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask again. I'm just going to ask you to stand. If that's what you would like to do, if you want more of that, if you want more power from God, if you want the gift of evangelism, if you want to be fearless in spreading the gospel, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray pretty soon. So if, if it's you, let's get on our feet. Praise God. One thing I will promise you, it will not be easy. But another thing I'll promise you is it will be worth it and you will be blessed. There is no feeling like it. Whether someone acts on it or not, when you share your testimony, when you share with people about Jesus, there is nothing like it and you will be filled from head to foot. Lord God, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for every life represented here. I thank you, Lord, that your word says it's your will that no one should perish. 
that you want to save everyone. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that is stood, that wants to do more, that wants to tell people about you more. I pray for those that have been afraid. I pray, Lord, that you will fill them with courage. I pray for those that are anxious. I pray that you will fill them with peace. I pray for those that don't feel they can do it. I pray you'll fill them with wisdom and sharpness of mind. And I pray for those that don't think they've been worthy, that they don't think they can do it, that their story's not good enough, that they're not a good enough person. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would shower them with love this morning. Make them realize that they are special. Lord, that you have a plan for them, that you have a purpose for them, and that you want them to tell people about you. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those that you have called, Lord, that you would pour out your gift of evangelism through your Holy Spirit on those stood this morning. I pray, Lord, that there will be a supernatural shift in their ability to tell people about the gospel. I pray that it will become easy. I pray that it will trip off their tongue as if they're telling someone a recipe. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pour out this gift of evangelism. Lord, I pray that we would go out from this place and there will be stories next week and the week after of us sharing the gospel and people being saved. Lord, may this room be filled with new converts. May this room be filled with people that come to know Jesus. Not people looking for another church, people looking for you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that people would come to know you and I pray that you would put that on our hearts, put it on our minds, make us bold, encourage us. Send us like Paul into the world, unafraid, unashamed, and ready to do what it takes to see people know you like we do. So bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.